Kia ora, I'm Alex Ashton and this is The Detail. Today, it's been a chaotic week for the Labour Party. It's been embroiled in a firestorm of criticism over its handling of sexual assault allegations, which have now claimed the scalp of its top official and put the Prime Minister in a nasty spot. The allegations have been simmering in the background for a couple of years, but reached boiling point as complainants went public. The process itself was deeply re-traumatising, um, and to the effect that many of us didn't feel as if um, anything would actually come out of the investigation. So she says, you know, in so many words, so I turned to the people that I trusted, the people that had actually invited me to bring this kind of painful experience forward, and they basically let her down. And there's been mounting pressure on party president Nigel Howarth to go. Today, last night, uh, there's no question in my mind whatsoever. And now, he's gone. The party and the uh, uh, president, uh, Nigel Howarth, continue to maintain and stand by the statements that they made yesterday. Um, despite that, um, I've seen correspondence that has clearly shown to me um, that despite their uh, best intentions, that this process has caused harm, and that is not acceptable. Today, we look at the handling or mishandling of the assault allegations. Andrea Vance has been covering the unfolding series of allegations for Stuff. The first allegations that we know of actually occurred in April 2017 at another uh, Labour youth conference that took place in Waikato University. Now, um, there was an allegation by a 19-year-old woman that she was assaulted as she tried to sleep at that event, at a marae at that event. Um, that's the first real record of any, any record of any allegation that we can confirm. Now, she did not come forward at that time um, and she's told stuff subsequently that she didn't at the time think of it as an assault. Fast forward to, obviously we went through the whole process of the election campaign, February, Valentine's night, February 2018, where this incredibly um, serious incident of serious sexual assault is alleged to have happened in the man, uh, the Labour staffer's home. Details of that woman's claims were published on The Spin-Off this week by senior writer Alex Casey. So there's two kind of the historic allegations of harassment before the actual assault that she detailed to Maria Berryman were. One was, I believe in 2017, at a Labour event where he was sort of grabbing her from behind, hugging her, touching her in ways that made her feel very uncomfortable. And the other instance detailed was that he sent her some correspondence um, that was sent over Facebook to somebody else where he kind of explicitly described what it would be like to have sex with her. And he sent her those messages himself. And this all led up eventually to a pretty serious assault. Yeah, so it was in early 2018 that she was invited over to his house under the guise of a private meeting to discuss party business. I think it was an upcoming conference or something like that. And uh, that was when the, the assault happened. She told me that they were looking at documents. It was, it was in his, his home. There were other people in the, in the house uh, that had been kind of spending time with them in the lounge who had all gone to bed. And they were sitting at a computer when he stood behind her, started applying pressure to her back, eventually... Yeah, kind of wrapping her arms around her and pulling her onto the floor 
and pinning her down. And then there was a sustained kind of sexual assault for what she thinks to be 10 to 20 minutes. She describes uh, trying to bang on the floor as hard as she could on the the wooden floorboards um, and also him applying pressure to her windpipe so she wasn't able to yell in, in, in some of the some of the instances there. Um, again, she did not report it for a couple of months and it was only during the process of the allegations around the Labour youth camp that she suddenly felt the need to come forward. Now, just to recap on that, in 2018, it was uh, it came to light in the media that there had been this youth camp and there were allegations of um, underage drinking and uh, four teenagers came forward um, to say that they had been sexually assaulted at that youth camp. Now, what happened then eventually was the police became involved and the case went to court. Uh, Last week, what occurred in court was that the Crown agreed to downgrade the charges from sexual assault to assault and uh, the man pled guilty to two counts and um, will subsequently be uh, sentenced in November. So that's the backdrop to all this. It's very confusing. The woman then came forward to the review that was instituted after that by a lawyer, uh, Wellington barrister, Maria Austin. She was asked to look into Labour's handling of the youth camp events. As someone who is able to independently work alongside the victims of this situation to make sure that we address their needs in the way we should have from the beginning to put in place policies that make sure that we do not have this happen again. And this woman um, who alleged that she was assaulted came forward to that review because she believed that the review's terms of reference were also to look into historic cases of assault. And so in April of 2018, she emailed Maria Berryman, but in that instance, she didn't detail the assault and she explains why she did that, which I think makes absolute sense that uh, she didn't know where that correspondence was going to go to. She was obviously naturally terrified of the man who did this and he he is described by her as well-connected and she was worried that if she detailed that, that it would get sent to everyone and everyone would know that that was what had happened to her. So she chose instead to pick the other instances of harassment, which did happen at labour events and are still very serious in nature, but in that instance hadn't fully detailed it. So Maria came back to her um, with some initial, you know, initial interest and questions about what had happened, but it seemed clear from the correspondence about a week later that she was inundated with the labour summer school and wasn't able to pick it up uh, in, in the immediate future. Then she became involved in a meeting with the with the man in question. There was a, an angry exchange and she felt the need to come forward then to Nigel Hayworth, who is Labour's president, and report predatory behaviour. Now, I've seen the email that she sent to him. She does not mention in any detail what um, she says happened to her, but she does mention very specifically on two occasions in that email, in fact, predatory behaviour. She has said multiple times, reiterated that at that initial meeting where she met Nigel and Diana, that she told them what had happened to her. So this was the meeting at the library? This was the meeting at the library in August. Right, and so they met there, and there Sarah completely opened up and said what had happened, and and they knew the seriousness of what she was saying? She says yes, they say Mm. something else. He... Nigel Hayworth came out very publicly and issued a written statement to say that he, those uh, allegations were not raised with him at that meeting. 
fast forward then again to a young Labour Christmas party in December of that year, December 2018. And there were there was an, uh, an altercation between some of the people who have eventually compl- laid complaints about this man at this Christmas party. Um, and that seems to have galvanised the complainants to, to do more. And in February, the Labour Party agreed through their very formal processes, the council agreed that they would institute a review or an investigation into into the complaints and the conduct of this man. Twelve people eventually raised concerns, twelve young people. Um, most, most of them were women, young women, but there is one man who claims that he, um, at, the, at the Christmas party, um, the man in question threw a punch at him. So that was the nature of his complaint. He's also sort of born witness or he's able to talk about some of the behaviour backing up some of the women's concerns or some some of the things that they've said because he says he's he's witnessed some of the um, intimidation and bullying that the man is accused of. So the the Labour Party um, asked three of its council members um, to undertake this investigation and it was led by a lawyer. It wasn't an independent investigation and that is what the complainants have raised concerns with. They were Labour Party members. It was an internal investigation. Um, The man in question had a lawyer. Uh, He immediately appointed himself a a lawyer, as he has the right to do. The complainants, they did not have a lawyer and they did not have their, you know, they're very young. Most of them are in their early 20s. um, And so they didn't have the means to appoint a lawyer. They did ask um, I'm told the Labour Party for a lawyer, but one wasn't appointed to them. So the interviews took place in March at Labour's headquarters in Wellington, Fraser House. Each of the complainants got an hour each to kind of go through go through their experiences and their complaints. And Sarah had notes that she brought to the hearing, uh, right? Yeah. What, so this what is, were on those notes? Because this is quite important. This is quite a crucial point. That she was very nervous, so she had written down. There were two key documents. One was where she describes the sexual assault in detail and another was sort of a collation more of a timeline detailing other aspects of his behavior from when she first met him all the way all the way through including other people to talk to so she had yeah she had these two key documents which she took in with her because she was you know very keen to make sure she covered everything those were also sent beforehand before the panel she sent them on the morning to both one of the panelists and Diana Lacey to print we can't ever be sure that they were read. But she says that she, regardless of whether they received the documents or not, if they printed them or not, they did print them because she had a printed copy, that whether they read those documents, she is adamant that that day in the interview she sat down and read through both those documents. And both of those documents contain the phrase sexual assault because we've seen them. So she she stands before the panel and she tells them about this. And then what, the panel come, says that they never heard that? Or where's the discrepancy? Well, I think some of the discrepancy, which I think also highlights how inadequate the process was, was the note-taking that day. The interview was not recorded. Well, to, to, to my knowledge, the interview was not recorded. There was just handwritten notes taken, which they were also assured that they were going to be able to have a look at for accuracy, um, for follow-ups, etc., before all that information was sent to the man at the centre of the allegations. So that didn't happen. The, the notes that were taken that day, handwritten by one of the panellists, were received after they heard the verdict that there was going to be no disciplinary action taken against him. And so when Sarah looked at those notes, she immediately, you know, she said to me, she's like, there's nothing to go off here. I mean, I've seen them. It's three pages of kind of bullet points 
there are inaccuracies even within people's names, you know, on on the document. And crucially, there is no mention of a sexual assault. So does Sarah think that the notes reflect at all what she told the panel? Not at all. Not at all. She does not see them as an accurate reflection of of both what happened to her and what she told the panel that day. So going off the notes, the panel comes to its conclusion. What did they find? What was the action? The recommendation from the New Zealand Council was that no no disciplinary action was to be taken against this man. And do we know if that is clearing him or it wasn't didn't reach a threshold? Do we know any more detail about that or no? We don't know anything, and I understand that that is something that some of the complainants are now trying to find out before they opt into any further review, appeal, uh, anything to do with to do with this investigation because they just want to know why. And so they were obviously extremely disappointed with this and began to question the Labour Party about the appeal process. You know, can they ha- appeal this investigation? The Labour's constitution apparently has no mechanism for this and the party sort of fumbled around for a bit trying to decide what to do um, in the face of this disappointment and dissatisfaction from the complainants. Eventually they brought in their own solicitor, a Wellington solicitor, to review not the allegations but the process that they'd followed. Now, again, this isn't independent. This this solicitor, not to cast aspersions on the work that he did, but he he was the party's he worked for the party's firm, the firm that they engaged their solicitor. So he was he wasn't entirely independent of the Labour Party. And Andrea, this that review was about the process of that three-person panel? It was. It was about the process. It was not a review of the allegations or an investigation of the allegations. That that wasn't part of it. So again, the complainants were very dissatisfied with this. And I guess in in frustration, but it's probably the best way, and because they felt like they didn't have any avenues, they sent an email in um, mid-July to a number of media outlets and subsequently um, the story went public. Kia ora, good evening. The Labour Party has been forced to review its own investigation into bullying, sexual harassment and sexual assault by a Labour staffer. It follows complaints the investigation process was botched and was traumatising for the complainants. After the story went public, Jacinda Ardern and Nigel Hayworth then decided that they would they would agree to a review, um, a, a fresh inquiry, if you like, and have appointed um, Maria Jew, uh, a barrister who's independent, entirely independent, um, to basically re- relitigate the issues, go through the investigation, re-examine everything, the, probably the review that should have been done in the first place. Um, mm. So this latest review is reviewing the actual allegations, not the process. Well, no, I'm saying that because that's the impression we've been given. Right. But the terms of reference are still in the process of being set up. So we don't, we don't actually know what she's going to look into and she is going backwards and forwards with the complainants to agree to an adequate or satisfactory terms of reference. So we can um, give Jacinda Ardern and Nigel Hayworth the benefit of the doubt that this will be a thorough and independent investigation but you can't actually concretely say that until we've seen the terms of reference and I know that the complainants themselves you know, have reservations. As victims, um, we feel traumatised um, we're afraid. We don't know what the consequences of our actions will be when it comes to speaking out. We fear repercussion, um, and we don't know that we'll be believed. We also 
don't know that anything will be done about it. Politics is is a hotbed of gossip and there are no secrets at Parliament. I find it very hard to understand how no one in the party at higher levels were was alive to or alert to questions about this man's behaviour, even without some kind of formal complaint or someone, you know, officially saying this happened to me. So I just feel like in this environment, in this Me Too environment, the fact that the Labour Party were not, uh, not did not take these concerns seriously, that their t- antenna wasn't up, really is probably the biggest thing for me and has led to all these problems. And, and Labour says it was unable to, to act without a formal complaint. But what would a formal complaint have looked like? Because people were emailing, they were raising concerns. What was missing for it to be recognised as a complaint? I don't. I see. I don't buy that. I think that is unacceptable. Who says that they can't act without a formal complaint? Because they're not the police, and they're not an employer. They're a political party, and they make their own rules. These people are all very, very young volunteers. They are vulnerable, and the party, above everything, had a duty of care to them. If someone, a very, very young person, a nineteen-year-old woman has stood up bravely and said I was sexually assaulted and and then had to undergo this, you know, excruciatingly long and bungled process, then, you know, I just find that very, very shocking. Nigel Howarth quit on Wednesday afternoon but stands by the comments he's made in public. Andrea Vance called it. The handling of this investigation and and the way that the party dealt with these allegations plus the disaster that was the Labour summer camp um, episode and the review, the review that was done after that, which was not made public, and then you know subsequently people involved in that episode have come forward to say that they're dissatisfied with how the recommendations of the review are being dealt with. So he has presided over not one but two incidents where young people have been allegedly put in places of danger um, at Labour Party events or related to Labour Party business, and he has a duty of care to them and. I think the threshold is high already for him to stand down and resign or for the party to ask him to resign without any subsequent allegations of of whether he was told or not told, you know, being proven or not. I think we're at the point now where there are very serious concerns. And what about Jacinda Ardern? How much of a target is she in all of this? Well, I mean, the party is, is working very hard to distance Jacinda Ardern from the allegations because, and this is this is a trick that, parties do when um, when the, the party becomes embroiled in scandal. They try and separate the political wing of the party from the from the party itself. Um, and that's what they're doing in this instance. Ultimately, the buck stops with her. I know she's expressed frustration that she was kept in the dark. She was kept in the dark um, about the Labour summer camp allegations and only learned about them when they broke in the media. She says that she didn't know... Um, that until this week that the allegations were um, of sexual assault. It's hard to reconcile that with the fact that in Jul- in, in early August um, the allegations were being reported as sexual assault. So, uh, you know, a good few weeks ago. Um, I can't say whether she saw them or not, but they were definitely reported as such. So, um, so it's quite hard to understand how she only realised this week that um, that was the serious nature of what was alleged. As to whether she is culpable, well, I mean, I suppose she has a, a moral responsibility, a duty of care over these young people. But I don't think I don't think anyone could realistically 
sort of say that she is directly responsible for what happened and should resign over it or anything like that. I think she's safely distant enough from it. But given the Prime Minister that she is and that she's put such currency on treating each other well and kindly, you know, I, I would have thought that she would continue to make quite strong statements about um, how the Labour Party has handled this. What does it say that some of the complainants actually approached Paula Bennett to advocate for them? I've seen emails that he has, you know, they've sent out to the victims saying, well, you can't speak to anyone except Nigel. And they're going, wow, this is a person that let us down so badly in the first instance. And they're kind of putting him as the go-between for everything. How do you see Paula Bennett's role in all of this? This is, speaks to how frustrated those complainants must have been. Now, they are all diehard young Labour people. Most of them are still in the party. And one of the reasons that they agreed to allow the party to handle this um, and went along with this process and didn't want to report it to police is because that they didn't want to harm the party. You know, they trusted the party to do right by them and handle it properly, especially given the summer camp allegations. You know, they put their faith in the party. That they were so badly let down and so frustrated Frustrated and felt like they had no other avenue to turn, that they turned to Labour's greatest rival, the, the National Party and Paula Bennett. You know, um, I think that really speaks to how let down they really felt and how desperate they were to get some kind of action on this. But Paula Bennett, I think, I've spoken to her, you know, on a number of occasions about this, and she is genuinely very concerned for these complainants and these young people. She also feels frustrated. I mean, I guess it speaks to what your colours are, whether you believe in her or you think she's politicking. But in in my conversations with her, I, I do feel like she genuinely wants to um, resolve this for the, these young people. Andrea, how do you see this playing out from here? What What are we waiting for now? It's really, really hard to see where it's going to go. I mean, I suspect that we will probably continue to hear more allegations and more details about who said what when and when these, you know, who first raised concerns and when they raised concerns and who knew about it. I mean, that's key. If, if someone manages to prove that someone in Jacinda's office or someone in the parliamentary wing of the party was alive to these concerns, you know, some time ago, then that would potentially be explosive. But there's absolutely no evidence of that. I should stress that um, at this point. I guess we'll wait to see what Maria Jew's terms of reference are, uh, how strong and thorough that inquiry is going to be, and whether the complainants themselves um, will accept those terms of reference. And then that investigation will play out and whatever happens at the end of that I guess we'll either draw a line under it or could potentially send the whole thing nuclear but it's re- it's really hard to say um, it's one of those uh, scandals where you just really don't know where it's going to end up but I, d- I don't think it's going to go away um, very quickly it is so so serious and it's only right that the pressure continues to be put on the Labour Party to make sure that they do the right thing by these um, complainants and of course the um, um, the young staffer as well. That's the detail for today. I'm Alex Ashton. The detail is brought to you by newsroom.co.nz, made possible by the RNZ NZ On Air Innovation Fund. Hit the subscribe button to stay across the detail every day. And if you're on Apple, please leave a rating as it helps other listeners find us. This episode was engineered by Rangi Poet. This episode was engineered by Rangi Powick and produced by Alexia Russell. Our associate producer is Keitaki Masalamani. Kakite Ano. Anno.